If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. And we welcome you into another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Just another boring (laughs) offseason, right? Nothing to really talk about. Um, Quite the opposite. We'll get into a couple of things. We... We really, this is one of those where we could have gotten into about 17 different minor things. Instead, it's going to be one or two major things. You can kind of guess what those are. Uh, we already booked our next guest before uh, Jimbo Fisher went scorched earth on the universe. It just so happened that uh, he was going to come on anyway and talk about some of this stuff, but we have a new uh, perspective on it. Uh, his name is Barrett Salee. He does great work at CBS, Sirius XM. Been a fan of his work for a while, and it's the first time we've uh, had him on. So we say hello to Barrett Salee now. Barrett, how are you? I'm good. Uh, man, Thursday felt like a college football Saturday. Uh, right. waking, waking up Friday morning, I was wrecked. But, uh, hey, anything in the offseason to drive content, 100% here for and. Uh, Lord knows that was a lot of content on Thursday. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of content. I, I was seeing uh, who was it? I forget now on Fine Bomb yesterday, and he's like, "Paul, you're welcome." I mean, your your show <laughs> for the next few weeks has basically just been been laid out for you. Uh, I think it was Thamel, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, that's the obvious jumping off point, but I, I want to get into the issue that really has helped spurn all this that we've talked about a lot, and and I'm not big on. Um, you know, I always say like, it's more, it's more entertaining for me on like a show. And by the way, I, I love you and Lugan bill together on Sunday. I, that, that is uh, you're going to keep that going this year, right? Then we Lugan. should, and unless they fire Tom, which yeah. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Well, I you mean, know, Tom, Tom. <laughs> yeah, Tom is Tom. I know uh, we've had Lugan bill on here too. And he's great. But no, I mean, for me, that's, that's like a ritual. I'm usually done calling a game somewhere Saturday getting him returning my rental car to the airport Sunday morning somewhere. And I got mm-hmm. you guys tuned in. It's, it's a good review of stuff. Well, I appreciate but, that. Uh, it's, 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 it's good to have. And it's, again, we, we've talked ever since COVID JC and I've talked a lot about the coverage of the sport of college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, first off, it, it's, it's like a lot of people want to get into this space, but I, I don't think, I don't think uh, there's, there's room enough for people that don't necessarily want to cover it for the, uh, the right reasons like the, the three of us are all you know entrenched in the southeast we all have ties to uh, the sec we all have ties to, to the kind of the the mecca of college football and but for for a lot of people we saw this during covid uh college football is just a means to an end to kind of get out to to spew some of the other stuff that that is going through their head about other things and mm-hmm. I, I tie all and and you were the exception you were one of the exceptions to the rule on all of that and I that didn't go unnoticed by us here and what I mean by that and and how that all ties in is that the, those same people that during COVID got very judgmental and didn't mind telling you how awful it was to even consider playing college football in 2020 <laughs> and if they had it their way that the season never would have taken place. Uh, those are the same people that were leading the charge of every, every player should get anything they want, and we don't need rules, and enough of all this trying to keep the kids down, enough of the manipulation and the exploitation. It's like they share the same brain on, on those issues, and it helped kind of lead us to where we are now. And 
guys like like JC and I on this podcast were using terms like pay for play and wild wild west over a year or two ago when you you knew that it wasn't going to be regulated. So here we are, and it's clearly not uh, return on investment. Just you know, Instagram influencer deals. Yeah, it, it's clearly out of control, and that clearly led to the Jimbo Saban spat. So as you sit from above and cover the sport. Uh, from your standpoint, did you see all this coming the way it has? And, and what do you think now is going to be the, the overall outcome of this? Well, I, I didn't necessarily think the collective thing was going to happen. You know, that was sort of a, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was a, you know, pie in the sky sort of deal for a lot of these boosters. But I, I think with all these states passing different laws, you, you sort of had to figure out how to make that function. Um, you know, was it good? Was, was NIL going to be used in recruiting? Did I think that? Absolutely. Even though the NCAA specifically said it shouldn't be, we all know that coaches, athletic departments, they all live in the gray area. They'd find a way, which is exactly what's happened. Uh, but the whole collective thing, um, and, and that being such a big business now in, in such a short period of time is it, it did surprise me. Um, and, and I think though, it is sort of a byproduct of a larger issue. And that's the fact that the NCAA dragged its feet for so long, waiting for the federal government to regulate this. And the federal government has lots of other things to deal with, uh, most of which are far more important than college football and college athletics. Um, you know, so as a result, you had these states sort of pop up every, you know, every law is, is worded differently. And, you know, certain states, certain schools in certain states like Texas A&M um, can, can form a collective this powerful and do what it did, which is fine. Jimbo was not wrong. He, he played within the laws of the state of Texas. Good for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I did not see all of this as the end result. Um, just because I, I thought maybe that the people who have been doing this under the table for so long wouldn't just be, it wouldn't, go so far as to essentially create slush funds right away. Like it was going to happen, but right away that surprised me. Um, is that good or bad for college football? I, I don't know yet. I don't think anybody knows yet. And if, if somebody comes out with a hot take saying things got to change right this very second, I mean, let's let, let's let, let's let the market sort of see how this works. Like this is a market. It's not, normal but nothing in college athletics is normal which is fine mm -hmm. um you know if if a collective wants to play a pay a quarterback eight million dollars that quarterback better start right away that quarterback better win multiple national championships and if he doesn't the return on investment won't be what it is and so three four years down the line that roi is going to tell you everything you know about how this system actually operates yeah it's interesting to me because and i've used that term too roi return on investment the thing is, like, if you go back to the the dirtiest days of college football recruiting, I mean, many have seen the 30 for 30 on SMU. These are not people when they were giving away cars and five figures here, six figures here to recruits. They weren't expecting return on investment like they weren't asking for an autograph session or you've got to endorse my car dealership or so that was in other words. This was flawed from the very start if you thought this was going to be based truly on NIL market value because the big-time boosters that have blank you money, they don't care if they get return on investment. What they care about is if that five-star defensive tackle or five-star quarterback is going to help them win more games. And for them, stroking that check or giving that pile of cash, the return on investment is they're going to win more games and win more championships. That's, that's, that's good enough for them. They've got enough money to worry about that. So I, I thought it was very naive of a lot of people that talked about this to just think that, well, once somebody spends 50 grand on a player and he, and he, and he fails, uh, and he craps out, well, then they'll know to never do it again. No, they won't. They'll just spend $50, $50,000, $100,000 on another five-star player. So I, I'm not, my, I don't have the hot take like this is awful and it's got to be changed tomorrow. My lukewarm take is, is that we, we should have seen this coming. And you're right. It happened faster for some schools than we ever thought it would. By the way, Southern Cal, what they're doing is really not much different than what Texas A&M did. I mean, that, no, they're basically right. I mean, like nobody's talking about what's going on out west because it's the Pac-12. It isn't that cute. But there's going to be other ones that pop up. And I just think right now, 
this is where we are, and it's not changing anytime soon. I realize Greg Sankey and others have tried to meet and come up with some rules and regulations, but how do you put that genie back in the bottle? The only way to do this, and I hate government uh, intervention in a lot of things, but it is the federal government, right? Because the toothpaste is out of the tube. Texas is not going to change its law. If the state of Texas has at two schools, Texas and Texas A&M, you know, doling out millions of dollars in NIL deals, and thus the enrollment on those two schools uh, increases, the financial, uh, the, the revenue increases, like the state of Texas ain't going to change it. Like that's, it's benefiting them. Um, it, the disparity benefits the state. So there's, there's not going to be a change at the grassroots level. It would have to come from the federal government. And at that point, then the government's going to get sued. And, and there's just going to be, and you know, you know how it is, billable hours are undefeated. That's always been the case and it always will be the case. Um, but I, I think the NCAA right now is just begging for any legal decision to go its way. And, and when that happens, if that happens, it's a big if, then there's a foundation for all of this to, uh, to sort of build around what the, the actual, you know, guardrails are. Uh, aside from that, um, yeah, I mean, this, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So, you know, I, I think there's, Greg Sankey and George Slovakov went to DC, what was that, three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain lawmakers, I think Marsha Blackburn's one of them, uh, Anthony Gonzalez out of Ohio, former Ohio State running, uh, a wide receiver's one of them as well. Like they actually get this, they under, it's, it's a priority for them, but they're in the minority in terms of lawmakers in DC that really care all that much. But I think the interesting thing is, when the educational benefit of just going to school for, for an average student starts to get changed by NIL legislation, and it will, right? Like enrollment will go down, revenue will go down, uh, the money they have to spend on facilities for the academics out of good, like all that stuff. When, when that starts to change, then the federal government will get involved, but that's like 10, 15 years off. So mm-hmm. until then, I mean, it's it's going to be hard for for the toothpaste to get put back in the tube. I'm going to do something. I'm going to hate myself for doing it, but let me play devil's advocate for the NCAA for a second because it, I mean it's such an easy target, right? Mark Amarit, the, the, the America's favorite pinata when it comes to college athletics, uh, and I don't think they handled anything right. They didn't have foresight, and why would we expect them to? They haven't handled much right for decades. I do think, though, it's humorous because I hear this take a lot. Well, if they would have gotten ahead of this, this all would be different and it would have been legislated and there would have been a cap and you wouldn't have schools outspending other schools by millions of dollars. I'm just curious based on what, because (laughs) it it just seems like any legal battle, like even if they already if the NCAA said, okay, let's let's not get dunked on by the Supreme Court. Let's go ahead and let's set up a model where they can only pay this much for this value. Then all it would take is another lawsuit. And a good lawyer is going to say, wait a minute, you don't have antitrust, so therefore you can't cap it. So therefore, what Texas A&M and Southern Cal are doing, they can keep doing it and you can't stop them. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And I actually was thinking about this exact thing uh, last week. You know what the crux of all this is and what the real turning point was for all of this? It was the Maurice Claret versus NFL case. Mm Because if you remember, Maurice Claret... Uh, obviously led Ohio State to the national title, but then he sued the NCAA, uh, the NFL to let him in to the right. NFL draft. I think Mike um, Williams was on that lawsuit Mike, too. Though. Yes, he was. He, yeah. Exactly. And if that would have happened, if if the if the NFL would have just done away with its its three year rule, then none of this would be an issue because there would be another option. And I think. Mm. Um, Really, if we're talking about things that need to be done, that's probably the one that would solve it. I mean, it would make it would give high school players decisions. It would give uh, options. It would give college players options. And then the NCAA would look at and say, look, you don't like our rules. Don't play. Right. You don't Mm -hmm. like our rules. Don't play. Go do something else. You have the opportunity. The problem is the NFL will never do that because it's prepared. It's uh, it's protecting its veteran players. So that's unrealistic. But um, that to me, I think it, you know, you're right. I think you're right in the fact that I think a lot of other decisions would have just delayed the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it would have, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. Uh, except the Maurice Claret case, 
And had that gone a different direction, then I think college athletics would be fine. The NFL would be fine. High school athletics would be more prominent because you could have some guys like Jadavian Clowney hop out of the uh, the, the, the uh, high school ranks and go to the NFL. My, uh, Will Anderson Jr. might be one of those guys too. So mm-hmm. if, if that had changed, then this whole thing would be a lot cleaner. And But like I said before, uh, the sport's beautifully dysfunctional, and that's where <laughs> we are right now. Yeah, I, I look, I, people want to, some of the media folks, uh, they want to vilify college football. Uh, that kind of makes me sick because I know that there's a, uh, uh, a a little bit of an agenda there that has nothing mm-hmm. to do with sports or life or any of that. You can see that during COVID uh, and they got exposed for it. Um, but, but I think if you're looking for a villain, okay, and, and you're looking for a multi-billion dollar enterprise that's getting free labor. I think you got to look at the NFL. I mean, every other sport has a minor league. Yeah. Every other sport, I mean, at least the NBA tries, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Major League Baseball tries. And and high school athletes uh, have a choice. They can go pro or or they can go college uh, in those sports. And, uh, you know, the NCAA in college football is basically a minor league that exists uh, for free yeah. uh, for the NFL and the NFL's done nothing, nothing to help this. My contention is this, the value in college football. I love play. I love the players. Uh, obviously there's been some great players. You mentioned J- Jadevi and Clowney, uh, maybe him, Adrian Peterson, Trevor Lawrence uh, in my career. And I've been, uh, I covered recruiting and been involved with covering recruiting for uh, maybe 15, 20 years. Uh, maybe those Marcus Lattimore, maybe closer yeah. to home. Um, Herschel Walker back in the day. Uh, maybe those guys could have gone pro straight out of straight out of uh, college or high school, but uh, very few can. Uh, and, and so it's even more of a disservice. Whereas in Major League Baseball, you can have a guy called up after his college season, or even the, and he gets and he's in the majors by September if he's good enough. Football is so developmental that it would, it would, you know, kind of be in the best interest of a football league uh, to have, uh, you know, a minor league in a developmental type of situation. And they do. And it's free. And they don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And so all these people out here talking about, oh, the players are exploited and they need to be able to get paid. Because I mean, that's what this is about. People, I think, out there with the agenda in the media, Barrett and, and Mike, they sit there and push this NIL thing and make it sound crazy, right? I mean, you have people, you have writers out there setting market value. And the reason is this, they, they lean a certain way politically, they're big time <laughs> into unions and stuff like that. They want players paid salaries, uh, close to NFL salaries, and they want unions and, and et cetera, et cetera, because their fundamental belief is all college players uh, or exploited. The flawed reasoning in that is they're only looking at the 2% that could go actually make money playing football right now, or the 1%. Yeah. They, they, they don't give a crap about the 99% who, hey, I need the scholarship and I need to play football because everything's paid for. And then I'm going to use this to go start a business, or I'm going to go use this and, and leverage my football ability and, and uh, my free education into having a career in the business world. And, and that's 99% of college football. So, so here's my thing. Uh, you, you want to take, uh, you know, if you started an NFL minor league tomorrow, make them do it because it's not fair or, or make them invest and in, in, in fund some of this NIL stuff and stuff like that. They start a minor league tomorrow. And let's say the top 500 guys out of the high school ranks uh, go straight to the NFL every year. And, and just like baseball and basketball, there'll be some that opt for the college experience. Um, I guarantee you, number one, only about 200 of those guys are actually the top 100 when it gets time for them to go to the NFL. So you're still going to have college guys drafted. Number two, the value, the money, every all this money that's coming into college football is going nowhere because people, people want to just sit there and focus on players, 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 players. They don't look at the value of the brand. The value of college brands is the front of the jersey. It's these mm-hmm. brands that these colleges have established over 125 years. Uh, fans, College fans are passionate about their school or their state uh, because it's their school and it's their team or whatever. Pro fans are fundamentally different. They're, they're kind of like, oh, we got good players. Let's go watch. Well, if not, you know, and you suck, we're not coming. 
Yeah. Uh, but 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 that's the that's what people just gets lost on people so much is the the money in college sports and the support that college sports enjoys uh, is fundamentally different uh, than the pros and it's more about the brand and the team. So in football, like you got two hundred, you got uh, however many. I mean, you know, you're talking about two or three players a roster. And now look, it would suck if uh, if you didn't have Trevor Lawrence, you didn't have Klein, you didn't have some of the greats. But I guarantee you, there'll be another great that rises. And in many instances, those guys are going to end up being better. Yes, anybody in NFL scouting that you got to develop, you got to progress, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's what the fundamental, uh, I guess, disconnect with all this is. There's so much focus on these the small amount of players that they ignore the guys uh, that need this, to whom uh, college football is an overwhelmingly life changing experience. And then they ignore the power and the value of the brands. They act like, well, this, the brands don't mean anything. I, I think it does. And, and I think that's the mistake uh, and, and the disconnect right now with some of the narratives that are being pushed out there. Yeah, it, it's like, you're right, JC. It, it's, it's like that the college experience, nobody wants it, right? Like everybody wants to make it to the NFL. Fine. Every high school kid signs a scholarship thinking he's going to make it to the NFL. Totally cool. Uh they all know that that might not happen, might not happen. And I think the value of the top tier players from the NIL perspective is a big deal, but I've never heard a single player when all is said and done, say they didn't get all that they didn't get anything out of college. They all got something. I look at Cardell Jones is a perfect example. Remember when he got to Ohio state, he said, I'm not here to play school. And everyone thought, Oh, he's not going to class. He doesn't care. Go look at Cardell Jones now. He just graduated. He he absolutely supports what college football did to him academically. Um, and look, that's for a lot of players a minor aspect of it, which is totally fine. If they want to make money, if they want to make millions and millions of dollars, cool. I mean, that's 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 awesome. I hope they do. If a scholarship still matters. You know, the connections you make at school, you know, as the as an Ohio State player, as an Alabama player, USC player, you know, those matter. Those can help you. It's different to varying degrees for every single player. But that aspect of it for star players gets overlooked for all of the 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 players who aren't super. Let's just take Stetson Bennett. Perfect example. Like. I think a lot of us think Setson Bennett, you know, he's a college quarterback. He's not going to make it to the pros. Okay, fine. The joke always is, well, he's never going to have to work a day or buy a drink in Athens again. And he's got to open up an insurance uh, insurance branch of, at Allstate. And, you know, he's going to break in all that money. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Look at, look at Buck yeah. Baloo. Look at Buck yeah. Baloo, man. <laughs> like, that's, hey, like, guys. Talk about return that? on investment for handing yeah. off the Herschel. <laughs> Yeah. Like, is that a bad thing? Like, good for him, man. Like that's, you know, I just, it's, I think everyone sort of views college athletics and NIL now in a vacuum. And it's so rare that anybody can put it into a bigger picture because they're focused on the problems with college athletics and college football, not the whole picture and how it benefits everybody involved, including the players. I saw we won't name his name because I, I don't even know this dude, but he started talking about how, you know, colleges just, you know, use athletes and, and there's no benefit and all this other stuff. Like it, isn't that like, it's mutually beneficial. Like players use colleges, colleges use players. Okay. Guess what? That's like life Your world. <laughs> yeah. That's life. Like why is like, that's not any different than anything that's going to happen in the real world. And it gets back to my point too, that like, okay, so we talk about NIL and value and all that. And I know they need to kind of figure out what the value is here, but look, the college platform allows you as a young player to, to get that, that the platform is what does it. It's not the player because I guarantee you some of these guys, these recruits that are rolling in to, school a or b or a and m or whatever uh that are getting the money um they go into a minor league system they're, they're making the league minimal i mean they're not getting nearly the amount of cash if that. uh if that if that uh, if they have to go actually prove themselves mm -hmm. as a player and if and honestly you know i'm sure an nfl minor league would would have fans it's football this is america but 
they're not going to have the passion. They're not going to have these guys that, that want to write the checks and, 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 and get the good players there. They're not going to have 80,000 in the yeah. stands. They're not going to have a, a, a TV package as robust as the college football packages are these days. And it doesn't matter if you take the players. So th- that's the thing too, that a lot, a lot of folks don't realize is college football uh, for all it is and for all it is used by the national football league, uh, it still provides a platform that uh, allows these guys uh, to have, you know, income beyond playing, uh, to have notoriety beyond playing. And like you said, you know, some guys that don't make it to the pros never going to have to buy a drink again in their lives. And so that's – and nobody talks about that. All they talk about it, you know, Matt Corral goes out with an injury in the Sugar Bowl last year and everybody's aghast. <gasps> oh, my God. You know, look at the – and then they, they crush bowl games and they crush everything. So, you know, I, I just think there's a there, – people, people are not – people have a political view about this, a worldview about this that they're married to and they don't really see the entire – the entire picture of the entire thing. Oh, and and the, it, it kind and of feeds into a lot of things. Yeah. We, we read the Matt Barry uh, quote uh, last <laughs> week and, and, and Barrett uh, JC and I know Barrett from, from working uh, in a previous market. Uh, and, and Matt's not the most outspoken controversial hot take guy in the world, but I thought it was very interesting what he said. And, and, and basically his point was screamers like to scream, but they don't care about, you know, solving an issue. The, the same people that are the most outspoken about this, uh, like the guy you're talking about, I could tell you another guy, I'm not going to say his name, who was, <laughs> who was literally saying that they want to keep the college athlete down like this, like the, they take joy in keeping the college athlete down by not paying. It's like, it's just so stupid so and dumb. So, yeah. such, such dumb rhetoric. And But some people believe that these the same people, though they could care less about the health of college athletics. They, for them, this is like a, a social justice experiment, and, and they want to go ahead and tell you how what's wrong. They don't really want to get, offer a solution. They just want to go ahead, throw something out there, and whatever happens, happens. And that's kind of where we are in, in a way. It's not that bad, thank goodness. But I would just say one other thing to, to, to both your guys' points. Uh, number one, JC, I, I think – the reason why there's not going to be minor league football, and I can tell you as someone who's broadcasted minor league baseball, very few of those teams make money. It's because you don't have, first of all, in football, you don't have the ballpark experience. Like people go to football for the reason you said it's the brand. You know, if you're going to Jordan Air Stadium, you want to see Tank Bigsby, that's great. And you might even buy a Tank Bigsby jersey, but Tank Bigsby without wearing the Auburn logo is someone that Auburn fans do not care about. Period. So like you, you are interested in the school colors. You are interested in the people wearing that uniform, mm-hmm. but it's the uniform that is kind of the trump card. The other thing is, is and so you, I don't think you're going to see a minor league football system because it would never make money. I mean, it would drain the NFL as rich as it is. They don't do anything that is not dollars and cents motivated. And right now they've got the perfect setup where college football is the minor league. So once they and- won that lawsuit that Barrett mentioned, like yeah. why? Why even mess with it? Just and, just, and, and they're not vilified at all. I no, mean, of course no, not. not. No, at they're, all. they're somehow they are put on a pedestal while college athletics is just the, the root of all evil. The other thing is when I hear things like okay, because you know, like we're on another we're on the precipice of another TV deal for the Pac-12. Pretty soon the uh, uh, the Big Ten is going to have another TV deal, and you're going to hear all these numbers and the same talking heads that we're alluding to are going to say, oh, how much of that money goes into the pocket of the athletes? They're making more money just sitting there in a smoke-filled room. They're making more money as the AD than the, than the college kids are that are actually throwing the passes, making the hits, hitting the jump shots. Well, here's the deal. Like, JC, you've worked for the, a, a website company for how many years? Barrett, you've been in, in the print business for how many years? I've been in the electronic media for how many years? If you go up to our top bosses, guess what? As successful as the three of us may be, and maybe we've done okay for ourselves financially, we're never going to make nearly as much as the people that owns our companies. That's just a fact of life. So if you want to learn basic economics as a college athlete, this is a good lesson. You're going to have everything paid for you, and now you're going to have NIL money, and you're going to be living a pretty sweet life, better than anybody else on that college campus, but you're not going to be making as much as your bosses, the head coach, the AD, the school president, and so on and so forth. Guess what that's called? Real life economics, (laughs) like any other profession, if we're going to call it that. So I, I can't help but just crack a smile at that logic. 
Well, and you know what's funny too is is you mentioned minor leagues. I'll mention minor leagues and, and how they would never get off the ground from a financial perspective. Think about this. If, if anybody went to ESPN right now and said, hey, you know what? Let's kill college football and create a minor league in the fall. ESPN is going to be like, you, you want us to pass up on that billions and billions and billions of dollars we are? No, right. like no. not going to happen. And then on top of that, you're right. It's the brand. It's the experience. And the, 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 the fan base, the pageantry, I know we all sort of think it's pomp and circumstances, but it's not like I went to Auburn, my 10 year old son and my six year old daughter, like that's all they talk about in the fall. Mm. Like even if a minor league were to succeed, right. Let's just say a minor league succeeded. Mm. It would take multiple generations of people to sort of age themselves out of mm. college fo- of oh, yeah. rooting for college football. Right. But, and there's no way that any minor league system could hang on that long. No, no. College football is going to make more money than, than any minor league system. I mean, and that's what nobody understands. They're like, okay, so the players that could go pro, that could get it. Like I said, half of them aren't going to make it anyway because, look, there's a difference between a football player that's 18 years old and a grown man that's 22. It's a gladiator sport. You have to mm-hmm. develop. I mean, it's not like basketball where you, you can have – Kobe Bryant goes straight in and, and, and play at a high level. I mean, it, it's a different, it's more developmental than any sport you've got. That's why your five stars are not always your first round picks. Yeah. And you got guys that come from smaller schools. I mean, it's an inexact science. And even the pro guys will tell you that. So half of them are going to turn. So, so half are still going to come. Half of your big time pro guys still going to come from the college ranks, just like baseball. And then, you know, College football, you're, you're like I said, you're talking about maybe two or three guys per roster, but I guarantee you at a starting point coming out, guys, of high school, and I've done this, I've seen it, you're split, you, you know, the difference between the number 120 player in the country and the number 320 player in the country is very, very minimal. Yeah. And they're both roughly at the same starting point. You do have guys up there in the top 10 that are better, uh, but even like Trayvon Walker, like, okay, so this guy had a great year this past year. Was Trayvon Walker the most dominant D lineman in college football? The, the, no, he had to develop, as did a lot of those Georgia guys on that defense. And, and, and so I don't think the sport of college football, if, ever, they were, if people were like, all right, you want to get paid? Go get paid. We're not stopping you. You're the NFL's problem now. Um, and, and 200, 500, 500 of them do it. College football's not going to miss a beat. There are going to be some fans that gripe, okay, this is going to ruin the sport. But if they really thought about it, why do I watch college football? Why do I care? Why am I passionate? It has way less to do. Of course, everybody wants to watch great players, but there's plenty to go around in this sport, number one. And number two, why do you care? Because it's 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 the school. It's the brand. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's that eagle flying off of the, the, uh, the turn. What do you call those things? It's a Jordan hair. Uh, and it, it's it's the marching bands, it's the pom poms, it's the iron bowl. Uh, that's why people care. Uh, and, yeah. and it's a very college athletics are a very personal thing to fan bases. Why why do you think they're forking out all the money for it? Yeah. Right it's well, personal. It's not like the pros. Well, you know what also ruined college football: the forward pass, <laughs> the scholarship limit. Yeah, uh, you know, team conferences having their own TV rights, uh, the bowl alliance, like oh, it's. every decade or so something kills college football like it's just it's just like guys y'all chill out you're still gonna like it it's still gonna be fun it's gonna be different it's gonna take some getting used to totally fine it will still exist and it will still be fun and and that's why you mentioned you know y'all talked about folks in our industry that just seem miserable all the time and complain (laughs) about everything like last time i checked college football is fun and, you know, you mentioned Matt Corral in the Sugar Bowl. Perfect example. As soon as that happened, oh, my God, I can't believe why he played. Well, you know what? Matt Corral likes playing college football. Right. Other people, football players like to play college football. I don't, they might make some money in NIL deals. They might not. They might be on TV. They might not. It's just, 
it's, it is, it takes a lot of work to be that miserable. And I can't imagine living that life. Yeah. And, and don't be surprised if Matt Corral is the starting quarterback for the Panthers in a short amount of time. So it's going to be okay for he Matt should, Corral. He should be the starting quarterback for the Falcons, but we'll die. Yeah, that's all. Exactly. Yeah. That's, a whole, that's a whole other story. Uh, we're, we're talking with Barrett Salee, uh, again, of, of CBS sports of Sirius XM. All right. We'll, we'll finally transition now into the, uh, the juiciest subject yesterday. Let me, let me start off with this. Could it be possible that everything Nick Saban was true, everything he said was true, because he did not use the word illegal. That's the key part that a lot of people are missing out on. Mm -hmm. I never heard Nick Saban say that Texas A&M did anything, quote unquote, illegal. He He essentially said they bought their recruiting class. Well, with NIL, that's kind of what you can do now. So he's making a statement that he thinks it sucks and that this is not a good thing and it's not healthy for the sport. And of course that allowed everybody to tee off on Nick. And then Jimbo goes out there and just goes (laughs) scorched earth. And, you know, like we said at the top, this, this was a, somebody who's trying to fill like a talk show or columns or anything in the off season, this is just gold, but could it be possible that maybe both were were right in some of what they said uh, the last 24, 48 hours? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's exactly what happened. Now, I, I'm sure Nick does regret calling out A&M specifically, uh, and I'm sure Jimbo, well, I don't know if Jimbo regrets calling out narcissistic. <laughs> he didn't seem to regret much. He didn't seem to care all that much at the time. But no, it's 100% right. Uh, Nick didn't say it was illegal. Nick said that the collectives were a problem, and he's probably right. You know, that I don't think anybody thought that it would be like this. And certainly, you know, so much, you know, disparity between what collectives do what and all that other stuff. And if you listen to Jimbo Fisher, he never said that he didn't break rules either. He just said he didn't break laws, Texas laws. And I think that's very important because if he said he broke NCAA rules about recruiting, then he would be investigated. And the collective probably did break NCAA rules but they didn't break laws and laws take precedent over NCAA rules. Mm-hmm. So if the NCAA went out there and said, tried to punish Texas A&M for its collective buying players. Uh, okay. The, the, the collectives be like, it's our laws. We followed our laws. We don't answer to you, which is true. So yeah, I mean, it was sort of a backwards, hilarious, uh, awesome way for both of them to, to really get the ball rolling. I think on what they hope is significant change. And that's what I think it all comes back to. I think Nick Saban, um, you know, at that meeting with boosters, or I'm sorry, with business owners, there were two, there were two things that he was trying to accomplish. One, he was probably like, hey, boosters, um, you see what AM did? Let's do that because that worked well. But also, I think he wanted to spur change. Like, what's Jimbo supposed to do? Not take advantage of the laws that he has to abide by? Like, that's like, why wouldn't you do that? Um, and and Nick. Would, it wants to take advantage of them, but he probably doesn't like the situation, which is fine. It's the same thing. Remember, go back to the 10 second rule that, that Brett Bielema had when he wanted to have it was a penalty if you snap the ball within 10 seconds of the play clock starting. Nick Saban was all on board with stopping up tempo offenses while operating and developing an up tempo offense. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, Nick can complain about it. He still wants to do it. Jimbo probably doesn't like the way things are going either, but he's taking advantage of the situation that presents itself in the state of Texas. I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of them. I'm just glad that Jimbo called Nick narcissistic and Nick yelled at Texas A&M. We had all that because it was a fun day. Were were you watching it live? Oh my God. It was like, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going to expect fireworks, but whatever. And then when he said Nick's a narcissist, it was like, Oh, okay. Oh boy. Let's uh, yeah. go. <laughs> and he, uh, he just, uh, does he, I think he used the word disgusting a couple I mean, despicable. It was despicable. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I, I, I sort of expected Jimbo to get a little fired up because he, he's, he's had to defend this before. Yeah. Um, all that said, I, I do think his, his recruiting class this year is a case study. Uh, I look at it, and uh, it is interesting that all of a sudden Texas A&M is getting five-star defensive linemen from New Jersey and Miami <laughs> and, and, and Western Tennessee and guys to reclassify and all that. And they're, I like their D-line coach a lot. He's a, he's a good good coach, go-getter. I mean, the wrecking crew, I think everybody thinks they're going to be back. But I know this about D-linemen. This was my best – position to evaluate when I was evaluating 
those guys are so big and so athletic that they don't have to work that hard in high yeah. school. They, these guys, Albert Hainsworth, when he was a senior, his team went 0-10 and, and he had nine tackles the whole year. And you saw how good he was at Tennessee. Now, he's kind of the extreme. Those guys have to get in shape. Those guys, I mean, because it, it, it's not as easy at the cost. So, so let's watch those eight D linemen that they signed this year. And let's see, because A&M, frankly, lost a lot of defensive linemen off last year's mm-hmm. team. Some of these guys should be able to play early. And let's see how good they are. You know, not necessarily this year, but but down the road. And, and if they were paid the amount that uh, some people say they were paid, uh, it's going to be an even tougher challenge. And I think Nick Saban made a good point on that too, because he said some guy's going to walk in thinking that they're all that and they're not going to work and then they're just going to transfer and then you're out that money. And so I, I, I think it's interesting that A&M, because I would do the same thing if I were them, I'd go all in on elite defensive linemen because if four of the eight hit, you're cooking with grease. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm just interested to see all these guys, and, and they're not Texas kids. They're, they're kids that don't have an affinity for the Aggies or the state of Texas or College Station. They're just – they're out there. And I'm not, I'm not going to accuse them of buying them. But uh, if that is the case and they did get paid like that, uh, there's your case study right there to follow for the next couple of years. People talk about market corrections. Um, and, and I'm with Mike in a lot of ways on this. I don't know that, that they will ever correct the market, uh, you know, unless it's not going to have to do with players that bust. It's going to have to do with wins and losses. If A&M continues to go eight and four, they're going to be like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. You know, and all that good stuff. So I, I think it's a great, I think AM is a great case study. And I think that quarterback going to Tennessee and all that's out in the open. Mm. Uh, that's another big time case study because, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think he's, I think he's really good. I don't think he's, uh, people keep using the word generational. Uh, I don't know whether it's just turnover in the recruiting industry or what, but uh, people need to learn the definition of a generation. I mean, in my yeah, opinion, Trevor Lawrence was that. Yeah. Yeah. He was generational in my opinion. So, um, you know, so we'll see how he turns out and if he can elevate that program, um, you know, I, I, I like him in that system, a football standpoint, but I mean, he's an $8 million man. And, and, you know, there may, there may be a kid that's a little bit less hyped that comes in there and just beats him out. You know, maybe he can't learn the playbook. Maybe he doesn't want to work. Or, you know, all that stuff goes into football guys. And, and, and so that's going to be a good, all this stuff's going to be a very interesting case study, but we can't solve it right now, you know? No, and and, and, and nobody, including Congress, is capable of, of solving it. They're, they're capable of improving it and giving it a little bit of direction because it is chaotic now. I, I do think going back to, to Nick and, and Jimbo, uh, what's the expression, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend yeah. or my ally? I'm not saying that Texas A&M and Jimbo is, is an enemy, but I think a lot of people secretly in the profession of coaching and, and with these uh, schools were sitting there and maybe they don't like Nick Saban and they're, and they're seeing hypocrisy or whatever else, but they're saying, Nick, keep going brother, because we need somebody like you yeah. to, to say something. And the, the enemy of my enemy is not Texas A&M. The enemy of my enemy is, the complete reckless nature of NIL right now. And there's a lot of people that feel the same way Nick Saban did that just don't have the, the gravity. They don't have the cachet to go public with it, but they're sitting there going, thank you. Somebody say what needs to be said, bring this to daylight and force a dialogue on what we're going to do to change this. So I, as much as Nick can be unpopular and people think he's a hypocrite and people, how dare you, you're the 70 year old, you've been living the charmed life and now you're going to sit here and rip somebody else. Blah, blah. But at the end of the day, even if they didn't like Nick, they might've liked his message. Oh, I guarantee you. I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact, there are a lot of coaches, both assistants and head coaches that have been pushing him to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt. And because I mean, a lot for a ver- wide variety of reasons, one, from a competitive standpoint, they, they can't keep up Two, from a personal standpoint, it sucks having to deal with all the crap you're dealing with as a coach right now. Mm-hmm. It was already a tough business. Now, like if you're a coach, you can't see your family. Matt Luke is a perfect example. That story that Seth Emerson had in the athletic where Matt Luke lost his cell phone for five hours at a dinner party after he retired and didn't care. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what would happen? 
if Matt Luke was still on the Georgia staff as an offensive lineman and he lost his phone for five <laughs> hours, he would lose his freaking mind. Um, so I think all of that's at play. And, and yeah, what Nick says carries weight. And I think there's, I think when he said that, I think was very strategic. Like a lot of things that he says publicly that sort of draw attention. And I think it was part of, in part, I mean, there's multiple different layers to all this, but I think in part it was designed to, sort of set the scene for the SEC spring meetings and the SEC perhaps coming out with a, not just a unified stance, but a plan. And maybe in a, in a bizarre sort of twisted dysfunctional way, him and Jimbo going at each other in the way they did actually might help because when all is said and done and Destin, you know, Greg Sagan come out there and Hey, the SEC agreed upon this, you know, Jimbo and Nick were part of the uh, part of the discussion and, and here's where we are. And everybody else would follow suit. And they're going to look out and say, well, a week and a half ago, weren't they yelling at each other? And the answer is yes. So I think there's a lot to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I, well, I was just going to, I was just going to shift gears to uh, let Barrett finish up with any thoughts that doesn't have to do with all of this, because I know yeah. you've written several articles on the actual uh, season upcoming because <laughs> I've seen them. So there's proof that you are not, uh, locked in a room and forced to talk about NIL. Like, <laughs> like, it seems like we all are these days. But, uh, you know, you, one of your columns brought up the point that in, in one way, this is a little bit refreshing and that we, we need something else to talk about other than Georgia winning the East and Alabama winning the West, mm-hmm. which is what we're going to be talking about for the next five months and beyond. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to the most for the upcoming season that actually involves play on the field? Yeah, I mean, well, the column yesterday, I mean, a- A&M and Alabama is now must-see. A&M and Ole Miss, for what Jim uh, Lane said a couple months ago, is now must-see. But it just takes a, it takes the the center of attention away from Georgia and Alabama, which I think is a good thing because now, um, okay, let, let's check out what happens when when LSU, um, you know, plays this Texas A&M team. Or, you know, let's, let's see what Lane can do against LSU. I'm most excited, though, um, about, uh, about, a, uh, about Ole Miss – I think Ole Miss can be really good, and I wrote this a couple weeks ago that they're the biggest threat to, to Bama in the West, which is relative, obviously. But um, I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off offensively. They upgraded at running back with Zach Evans and Ulysses mm-hmm. Bentley. Um, that Michael Trigg dude that they got from USC looks like an he's, – he's Eric Gilbert, just freak in terms he's of this match. Yeah. I mean, and then you, you get Jalen Robinson, who's you know, from UCF, who's, uh, you know, I think in terms of shiftiness, he's definitely up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think Ole Miss is going to be a lot of fun this year and and Tennessee, too. You know, you mentioned the offense and how the the eight million dollar man fits into it. Well, the eight million dollar man's not there yet, but Hendon Hooker is. And you put him in that up tempo offense with a full offseason as the unquestioned number one. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens there because all the teams in the conference, you know, styles make fights. Right. And not many teams can dictate styles outside of Georgia and Alabama. Ole Miss can and Tennessee can, and they can do it with offense, which I think in this day and age is is absolutely something that um, can help you win at an elite level. Yeah, you look at the Bryles coaching tree in the league last year, the offenses that that kind of aren't mm-hmm. Bryles, and they're all three different. Tennessee's different than Ole Miss. Ole Miss is different than Arkansas. But, I mean, those three schools, I mean, they led the league in offense last year. And I, I was always intrigued when Art was at Baylor. I was like, well, I wonder – because there's a lot of sneaky power runs in there uh-huh. and I think you got to run the ball I mean Mike Leach is doing his thing at Mississippi State obviously but I think you got to run the ball in this league and, and Baylor did it I mean I, Baylor one time didn't have a quarterback in a bowl game against North Carolina they did 700 yards of offense <laughs> he's lined it he just lined a, it lined a guy up in a wing a receiver up in a wing formation and ran it up there behind so I think that I think that's a good point there um so Texas, Oklahoma are coming in the league and, and in Destin in a couple of weeks, they're talking about having a schedule, you know, because everybody's asking, are they going to have yeah. divisions? Are they going to have pods? What's your take on all that? Uh, I kind of think three, six, six, three permanent with six rotating every other year is intriguing. But uh, what are your thoughts and what do you think will happen? Yeah, I'm with you there. Nine game conference schedule, three permanents, and then rotate everybody else. I'm totally fine with that. I think that's the way it should be. I think that's the way 
Um, obviously, the Pac-12 is leaning in that direction. They changed their rules to really just, for lack of a better purpose, the divisions don't exist right now, although you're playing a division schedule. Uh, the ACC did it, obviously, when Notre Dame was in the conference during the COVID year. I think no divisions, six, uh, six rotating, three permanents. You're going to lose some rivalries, but you're going to still see those rivalries, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's I'm old enough to remember when there were two permanent uh, uh, opponents in the SEC. And I just, for, for Auburn, for, I went to Auburn. I grew up at Auburn. I'd go into Auburn games. Uh, it was Georgia and Florida were Auburn's too. And the Florida game was enormous, mm-hmm. almost as big as the Georgia game every single year. Well, they played in 2011 and 2017, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not okay. You guys talk to coaches as much as I do. Like they really don't like the fact that players don't get to play every team. Georgia like, still hasn't been to College Station. Yeah, since Texas like, A&M got and, the league. And coaches really don't like that. I don't think the average fan realizes how much that pisses them off. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might lose a rivalry or two. Tennessee has four rivals, so you might, you know, have to, you know, drop one on an annual basis. But uh, you still play them all the time. You know, you still mm-hmm. play them, you know, every other year or so. And then, you know, you might get them in a conference championship game if you're one of the top two teams. So. I think that's the way to go about doing it. And honestly, that it, the way I, was, I thought about this yeah, last night, that might – what happened yesterday might actually help that business get done because now suddenly with Jimbo and Nick, they might just hash that out right now before they even get to Destin. <laughs> and then right now, you know, once they get to Destin, they don't have to worry about it. They get to worry about other stuff, which is probably what needs to happen. I think the momentum from what I'm hearing to go to nine conference games, even though a lot of coaches will hate it because it's going to be more losses on their resume, the momentum is just too strong for that to, to, to be stopped at this yeah. point. I, I think that's inevitability. What about if you were to take uh, – I, I know we're all kind of in the dark on this, but your best guess on when Texas and Oklahoma are actually freed uh, by the Big 12 – and, and no longer have to uh, sleep in the same house, even though they've gotten divorced. When, when does that happen in your estimation? I think it's probably going to be 2024, um, mm-hmm. you know, just because, you know, TV deals have to start being altered and that's not easy. You know, um, you know, th- it's not just, you know, the SEC is locked into ESPN. I get that, but you know, it's, it's still changed. Like the, the, the rules changed the, the parameters, the specifics, the details all changed. So uh, you know, we saw the report, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, that the Longhorn Network is going to disband when Texas joins. Uh, that's an easy thing to discuss and figure out how to make work. There are a lot of other more complicated deals you have to worry about. So I think 2024 is probably what I'm thinking. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Barrett, we've kept you long enough. Great stuff here. I, I mentioned CBS Sports, Sirius XM, uh, at Barrett Salee on Twitter. What else am I, am I missing here in your uh, overall repertoire of uh, – <laughs> of coverage of college football. Uh, yeah. CBS sports HQ, the streaming site, uh, which okay. is always fun. JC knows all about that. Um, oh, yeah. on the 24 seven side, um, you know, Instagram, all that other stuff, uh, more importantly, follow me for the Braves pictures and the Braves. That's, <laughs> that's the most important thing these days. Heck, yeah, yeah. I see that. And, and you, you folks out there listening, can't see it, but Barrett's got his, uh, 1995 and 2021 championship t-shirt. Very, you know, I worked there for five years and, had they won a world series during that, those five years, I know that the Derek Shores of the world and the people that uh, run that organization, they would have gotten me a ring, that big fat mm-hmm. gaudy ring. I got several uh, friends who have one that were uh, there. And yeah. You and say, I, yeah. Um, drunken stupors at their houses might result in me taking that. And, <laughs> you know, not not going to apologize for that. If, if you could just find a jeweler that could rub out their name and put some <laughs> exactly. on there, exactly. that's all you, you got to do. Barrett, again, uh, I've always appreciated your work and uh, hopefully we can grab a beer sometime in Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.